It's kind of fun to, to be in a, get in a place where we, do, we can't gather as much anymore in our culture at the moment, uh, but still to gather. And I just was noticing as I was worshiping with you that many of you really enjoy worship, and that's probably why you're here. Otherwise, maybe you would just stay at home and watch the message online. So we're glad you're here. We're glad you're joining us. Um, hey, if you're, if you're new, we want to especially just say welcome to you. We, we've, one of the things we've noticed in these last couple of months since we've reopened is we're actually seeing a lot of kind of newer people joining us, and we're so glad that you've joined us. Um, again, you can join us online every week if you can't make it on a Sunday, or if, or if you get a little bit nervous about making it on a Sunday, you can join us online. We, have, we, have our, we broadcast our services on Facebook and on YouTube as well. We're in the middle, or actually we're at the beginning of a series called Jesus Unveiled. We thought, what would be a good series to do in the midst of this pandemic when we've had... Um, an epidemic. We've had locust swarms in Africa. We've had earthquakes right here in Utah, right? We've got wars and rumors of wars. If you don't know what I'm talking about right now, these are all things that were prophesied in the Bible, um, in Matthew, and also in Revelation, also in the Old Testament. And so we thought, let's, let's, do, let's, let's throw Alpine Church a bone this summer, and let's do a series on Revelation. And as we started looking into it, there are kind of two ways to look at Revelation. One way is, one way is to look at Revelation uh, in your left hand and, your, and a newspaper. Young people, that's what we used to have. Uh, a newspaper in your right hand, maybe your, phone, your Twitter feed in your right hand, right? And so you're looking at the, the, the locust swarms, and you're looking at wars, and you're looking at the Antichrist, whoever you think that might be right now. You're looking at all this stuff in one hand, sort of the, the current events in one hand, and you're looking at the Bible in another hand. I remember growing up, I had a friend who did that. He was, he was really into Revelation, and he would. This was in the days of newspapers. So he would, have, he would literally cut out newspaper clippings. He would read the book of Revelation and cut out newspaper clippings to see how Revelation fit into current events. Well, this was back in the 80s. And he was really into this, and I, I thought it was just really interesting how into that he was. He wasn't into Jesus particularly. He was into prophecies and antichrist. He was kind of like a, a Christian equivalent of like an ambulance chaser. I don't even know it. Like, I don't even, and I, I was too young to really have discernment about that, but what I realized is there's two ways to read Revelation. One is that way, like he did. And another way is to actually read what it's really about. And I want you to know what it's really about. The book of Revelation, like the whole Bible, is really about unveiling Jesus. It's really all about Jesus. So my friend who was all into, all into the current event side of Revelation, I don't even think he's following Jesus anymore. He's on to the next thing that's interesting to him. We want to be people who are who are into the Word of God and who are studying the Word of God for what the Word of God says. And so the, ser the title of this series, it's a seven-week series, we're on week two today, is Jesus Unveiled because the book of Revelation is actually all about unveiling Jesus. The very last week, if you were here, uh, the opening chapter of Revelations, it's a revelation, by the way, given to the Apostle John, but it's a revelation about Jesus, and we're going to see that today. This whole thing, I don't want us to be distracted. I don't want us to be sidetracked by all the other information in Revelation. We're going to get into that a little bit. 
We're going to talk today about the scroll. We're going to talk about the the living beings. We're going to talk about these strange-looking beings and the scroll and these songs. We're going to kind of take a glimpse of of heaven because today we're in chapters 4 and 5 in Revelation. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, It's okay if you don't have your Bibles. You can pull your phone out and open it up on a Bible app. That's what I have here. So if you look at me looking at this, I'm looking at my Bible, even though it's my phone. I promise I'm not, I'm not playing a game on my phone right now. So we're going to be taking a look at Revelation 4 and 5, and today we're going to look at, um, we're actually not going to look at the seven seals of Revelation. <laughs> so Trevor, I'll pause a little bit. Wait. Yes, we are. We are going to look at... Um, no, that's good. No, this is good. I think the title slide's just wrong. So my bad. I didn't look at the title. We're good. I got a little panicky right there for a second. I thought the end was coming. So we're going to take a look at, we're going to take a look at the lion and the lamb in Revelation. And, uh, and so we're going to look at Revelation 4 and 5. A couple of things I want to say about this before we look at it. Number one, it, it, I want to make sure that I really encourage you at home this week later today, later this week, to be reading along in Revelation as we go through this series. So we skipped over chapters 2 and 3 because a a few months ago we actually did a series on the seven churches in Revelation, but we're actually going to jump now so we can do this in seven weeks as we finish the summer here. We're going to jump to chapters 4 and 5, and Revelation 4 sets the scene for what's going to happen in the following chapters, meaning chapter 5 and also chapters 6, 7, and 8. Okay, so there's, I know there's a lot to do. Some of you like to take notes. This is a great one to take notes on. But I want to just say a couple of things before we jump into the rest of these talking points and some of the scripture here. I'll have it up on the screen. Number one, I want you to, I want you to pay attention as you read chapters four and five this week, and I hope you'll do that. Read Revelations chapters four and five. I'm going to, I'm going to explain it today in the next 25 minutes, but I want you to then read it with the perspective that I'm giving you about how it's unveiling Jesus. You're going to notice if you read chapters four and five, there's four songs in the book of Reve- in these two chapters. There's four songs. The setting is heaven. It's this vision, revelation that God is giving to John, and he sees, we're going to get into it in a second, but he sees this vision of heaven, and it's kind of a crazy vision. But pay attention to four songs as we go through it. We're going to read some of those songs. And with each song, the crowd grows. So it's kind of like what happens here is as we opened up, a few people came to church because everyone was a little bit nervous. You're kind of putting your toe in the water a little bit. Um, the brave ones are the ones who came those first few weeks. But with each week, it kind of the group grows just a little bit more depending on what news channel you're watching. And eventually, someday, we're going to get back to the place where we're back in full capacity, we're worshiping. That'll be great, right? Well, that's kind of a picture of heaven. That's a picture of what happens in chapters 4 and 5, because in in the first song in chapter 4, there's just the living beings that are singing this song. I'll show it to you in a second. And then the next next picture is there's a few more people singing. And then in chapter 5, then we see the third song in chapter 5, and even more people. It's like the crowds are gathering, and by the end of it, and we'll get to, the, to that at the end of our message today, by the end of it, it says that all the cre- everyone in heaven, in earth, everyone is singing the song. And I think that's, such a, that's a great thing to remember as we read these two chapters, but chapter 4, before we get to chapter 5, chapter 4 is going to set the scene for what happens. And here's what you need to know. God the Father is on the throne, and his plan for world history is coming together perfectly. 
I don't know if you knew that God had a plan for world history. If you, if you read the Bible, maybe you, maybe you read it and you start to get a little confused. It seems like things got a little bit out of control. Like maybe, maybe God started, you know, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God starts, things are beautiful. Husband and wife are, are living in harmony with one another. They're in relationship with God. The Bible says they're walking together in the garden with God until sin entered the world. Chapter 3, sin enters the world and, and, and everything just went to complete chaos. And in fact, if you look at kind of the biggest, broadest picture of the Bible, the first two chapters of the Bible is order. The last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, order is restored, and everything in between is just chaos. So in case you're living in a world or in a home at this moment in your pandemic years, if you're living in a world where you feel like there's chaos reigning, join the party, right? Because that's probably how most people feel in their homes right now. In case you turn on the news and you feel like chaos is reigning, what's wrong? Well, chaos has reigned from Revelation 3 to today. Chaos is reigning, but I want you to know and this is what we're going to see as we look at these, at these verses together. I want you to get a glimpse of this picture in Revelation 4. God the Father is still on the throne. I want you to know that God the Father is still on the throne. With the locusts and the earthquakes and the pandemic and the Democrats and the Republicans and the independents and whatever you, whatever, and the guns and the protests, the peaceful ones and the riot the riotous ones. In the midst of all of this, I want you to, I want you to know God the Father is on the throne. And his plan for the history of the world didn't get away from him. His plan for world history is actually coming together perfectly. It's kind of like watching a, a movie. If you, if you enjoy a good movie or a good book, like they, as they introduce characters and plot lines and, and they, they share this, you know, you, usually there's some tension in the movie or in the book and, and, you, and here's this character and here's that character. And if it's a good one, by the end of it, the author kind of resolves it all and everything kind of fits together by the end of the movie or book. And if you're watching a movie or a series where that's not very good, you get frustrated because by the end of it, it doesn't tie it all together, right? It doesn't like, you're not like satisfied at the end of the book or movie. God is a good author. And this plot line has not gotten away from him. He knows what he's doing. And we're gonna see that in these chapters. Let's look at this. Revelation 4.8, it says this. There were these living beings in this picture that John had of heaven in Revelation 4, there were these living beings. He describes them right here. They're really weird. They had six wings. Their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. If Young people, if you want to kind of get a, a rendition of what this might have looked like, just Google the living beings in Revelation, and I'm sure there's some good artwork out there that people have tried. John wasn't an artist, so he didn't draw pictures. He just explained this to us. They had six wings. Their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. And day after day, night after night, they kept saying, and here's the song number one. Here's the first song in Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Now I want to just pause right there, and I want to make sure that you understand the word that comes to mind when I read that last line, and the word is stability. I don't know if you know someone in your world who's stable, like just dependable and stable. In the midst of chaos, you want that. You want to know that I can, I, can tr I can trust in my husband or my wife or my mom or my dad or whatever, like a good friend who's just stable and reliable and loyal, right, young people? Well, I want you to understand that's what I read when I read these, 
this first song. All of these, all of these living beings are worshiping God and they're speaking the truth. When we worship, we speak the truth. I don't know if you noticed that. All of our worship songs are, are a way for us to remind ourselves of what's true when we're singing these songs. And here's what's true. God is holy and he always was before Genesis 1, God existed. And he is right now, he's still on the throne, nothing's changed. The picture of heaven, we don't usually get a glimpse of heaven, but if we could get a glimpse of heaven, this is what we would see. He is on the throne right now, and then finally, he is still to come. That is stability. And I want you to know that God is stable, and God is trustworthy, and God is true, and that's what this first song is about. And we read on in verse 10 and 11, it says, these, these strange creatures, these strange beings, lay their crowns down before the throne, and here's what they sang. This is the second song. Here's what they sang. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. This is a picture of a sovereign God who is in control. I want you to hear this. God the Father is on the throne and his plan for world history is happening just how he wanted it. And that's what I see in these first two songs. And as we move on, we see that the scroll in Revelation chapter 5, as we turn to the page to the next chapter, we're going to see this scroll. We'll see it in a second here. But I want to make sure that I preempt this because I know sometimes when we read Revelation or anything in the Bible, but especially Revelation, it's easy to read it and say, I don't understand what that's talking about. And so we kind of miss the whole point. So before I even read these words in Revelation 5 about the scroll, I want to make sure that you understand what you're about to read. The scroll, in my opinion, and in most theologians' opinion, the scroll contains God's secret agenda for world history. That's what the scroll, we're going to see the scroll, we're going to read it, but that's what the scroll is about. It's God's secret agenda for world history. I think the scroll probably contains some things about history in the past, the things that have already happened, and I think the scroll also, well we know the scroll also as we continue to read Revelation, the scroll also contains stuff about what's going to happen in the future. So that's what the scroll represents What we're going to see in these verses is that Jesus is the key to opening the scroll and unlocking the mystery of God's secret agenda. Have you ever read a book and you're like, this is so good? Like you can't, you're in chapter four, but you can't help yourself. Like you want to jump to the end and read the ending. I've done that before. I'm impatient. I admit it. And that's what we're going to see here is the scroll. The scroll contains God's, God's last chapter. The scroll contains that mystery. And that mystery's been unfolding since Genesis 1, when God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created Adam and Eve, and he put Adam and Eve there, and then they screwed up, they sinned. But there's little little hints about what what God's plan was all along. Like Genesis 3.15, there's a hint, because because there's a a verse there, Genesis 3.15, where it says that the snake will strike the heel of the Messiah, but the Messiah will crush his head. That's a hint. I think that's one of those things that's in the scroll. That's a hint. We see in Genesis 3.15, it's called the Proto-Evangelion, which means it's the first time we see the gospel in the Bible. 
The first time is Genesis 3.15. You should look it up. And it's this little picture. And, and I, I'm sure that Adam didn't understand that or even Abraham, who probably penned those words, he probably didn't even understand what he was writing yet. He didn't have the full picture yet. He didn't understand and that's what we're going to see here is, is the scroll is the full picture. It's the full picture of all the way back before, before the, the earth was created and all the way forward to the time when Jesus is going to come back. That's what the scroll is. So let's take a look. Revelation 5, 1 and 2. It says, remember John's writing this. He says, then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. Who was that? Who was sitting on the throne? God the Father was. Yeah, it's actually not Jesus. You're going to see Jesus in a second. It's God the Father. So remember this. God the Father is sitting on the throne, and we're going to see Jesus in just a second. Again, we don't have time to get into this, but God the Father is God, and Jesus the Son is also fully 100% God. And in this picture, we see the two persons of the Trinity, two of the three persons of the Trinity, interacting. But don't get confused about that. Because there's only one God. But God the Father is on the throne, and he's holding a scroll. And there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now, I should have brought something up here to show you what this means. But in my mind, what I see here is I see this scroll rolled up, and it's like chapter one has seal number one. And then seal number, a seal was like, a, think of like a wax seal that keeps you, you'd have to break the seal in order to open that chapter. Seal number one was a wax seal, and it maybe had chapter one. And then seal number two was another wax seal, and if you broke that seal, you'd open up chapter two. Does that, does that make, a sense, make sense to you? This isn't, we don't probably have scrolls in our homes, but that's what I envision here. It's like seven seals, and you could progressively open a new chapter. Now next week, we're going to talk about the seven seals. I panicked and I thought maybe it was this week when I saw that title slide. That was the wrong title slide. Next week, we're going to talk about the seven seals. So make sure to come back for that. But that's what, that's what the scroll contained. It had seven seals with, with seven chapters that each one of those seals would be, would be broken open and reveal. And then and John says this. He says, I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy? to break the seals on this scroll and open it. And there's some really cool um, background to this kind of a thing that if, that in the court of law, that only certain people would have the authority to open a seal. If it was a, if it was a sealed will and testament, only the person who was, who was uh, the executor, let's say, of the will was allowed, had the authority to open the seal. So this is what the angel is saying is, who's allowed to open the seal? Who is worthy? Who has the authority to open the seal? And we turn the page and it says this. John says, then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found. No one was worthy enough to open the scroll and read it. And I get this, right? Because he's, he's like, I want to know. Like, I want to know how all this ends. Like, I can't wait to hear this, this secret agenda and see how it's all going to be revealed. And, and he's getting sad because, because he, he wants to jump to the end and he wants to read the last chapter, but no one's there to read the last chapter. But it says, one of the, one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping, you crybaby. My translation. And then he says this. He says, look. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And this is where we're talking about Jesus. 
So God the Father is on the, on the throne and, and he has the scroll. And then now finally enter Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the heir to David's throne. And he has, notice he says, he has won the victory. It doesn't say he will win the victory. He has won the victory because he won the victory when he went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins, which was all part of God's agenda. And when he rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death and the grave. And so Jesus is the one. Enter Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Jesus is worthy to open the scroll. Jesus is the one. Here's what this means. Remember, the scroll represents God's agenda for world history. So Jesus is the key to understanding God's agenda for world history. I'm going to say that again because I I think that's something you might just gloss right over, but I want to say it again. That's really important. Jesus is the key to understanding world history from God's perspective. Jesus is the key to understanding the Bible. That's why whenever a new, a new Christian, if you're new to the faith and you say, hey, I want to start reading the Bible, good, we think you should. And I always encourage people to start reading in the New Testament. There are two Testaments, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament starts with Genesis, ends with Malachi. New Testament starts with Matthew, ends with Revelation. The New Testament is where we learn about Jesus. And the reason I tell people who are new to the Bible to read the New Testament first isn't because the New Testament is better. It's not the whole Bible is God's word. It's all very, very important. But if you read the New Testament first, then you'll learn about Jesus. And when you learn about Jesus, you can understand the Bible. If you read the Bible without understanding who Jesus is, then you don't have the key to understanding the Bible. That's probably just moralism or fun little lessons. Read Aesop's fable that, fables that way, that's fine. Read Shakespeare that way, that's fine. But if you're going to read God's Holy Bible, you better understand how Jesus fits into the whole picture because Jesus is the key to opening the scroll. Jesus is the key to understanding everything. He's the key to understanding the Bible. He's the key to understanding world history. He's the key to understanding this epidemic. He's the key to understanding every confusing cultural issue you'll ever have for every generation. If you want to understand, if you want to have wisdom, then you better meet Jesus. Because Jesus is the key to all of it. Jesus is at the center of history. And that's why Jesus is the one who can come in and open up the scroll. Because he's the key to all of it. Let's continue. The reason is because Jesus, and we're going to see this here, Jesus is both the lion, we already saw that, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's also the lamb. Now these are symbols of power on one hand. A lion was a symbol of power. And a lamb was a symbol of sacrifice. So Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. Now this is kind of paradoxical, but these two images capture the essence of the role of Jesus in salvation history. Because remember that Jewish people were expecting this warrior king to come in and, and deliver them. You know, whenever you read about David or the, the, the throne of David, the throne of David calls to mind this image of this powerful ruler, this powerful leader like David was. David was a powerful leader conquering all these nations and establishing Israel as this, as this premier nation on the face of the earth. But after David died and Solomon, his son, died, Israel just took a plummet. They went downhill and, and pretty soon Israel, the nation of Israel, was just hanging on by a thread. 
And so the hope of Israel was that there would be this new leader that would come in. And they called this leader the Lion of the tribe of Judah because David was from the line of Judah. And so they thought that this, this Lion of the this lion of the tribe of Judah would come in and, and would dominate and would, would reestablish Israel, right, as this great nation once again. That's kind of what the, what the scroll contained. But yet Jesus was, wasn't just this lion, this powerful lion. And, and we read about this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, that Jesus comes in and, and he's, he's raising the dead and he's healing the, the lame and he's helping the blind to see and he's, and he's humiliating the Pharisees, right? Like he's doing all these incredible things. And then the last thing he does is he dies and three days later he raises himself from the dead. Like that's pretty lion-like. That's pretty powerful. But he's also the lamb. He's not just the lion, He's also the lamb. And this is something sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our mind around, that he's both. We see this. Let's go back to Revelation 5, 5 and 6. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. Remember, he already won it by going to the cross and dying on the cross and, and then raising himself from the dead. He's worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. But then verse 6 says this. Again, John's writing this. He said, then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. Like, I want to make sure that we pause to appreciate this picture and how paradoxical this picture was. This powerful lion, but in the next verse, he says, I saw a lamb. And guys, if you, if you don't see Jesus in both lights, then you don't know Jesus. If you only see a lamb, you don't know Jesus. And if you only see a lion, you don't know Jesus. Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. We first were introduced to the lion concept in Genesis 49, 9, when, when the patriarch was speaking these blessings over his 12 sons and the son Judah, he says, Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. So this is this image that we're getting conjured up in Revelation of the lion of Judah, that's Jesus. They didn't know back then that they were talking about Jesus there. But if you read Matthew, the very first lines of Matthew are the genealogy of Jesus, and Jesus is from the line of David, who's from the line of Judah. And so Jesus is the lion of Judah, and the Israelites thought, the disciples thought he was going to come in and start kicking butt, because he was a powerful warrior. But instead of kicking butt, he dies on the cross. And that's the lamb. And John the Baptist was the first one to say that. John chapter 1, verse 29. It says, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you better believe that when he said that, every Jewish person with an earshot understood what he was talking about. Because a lamb to a Jewish person was a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And you would bring a lamb and you would sacrifice this perfect unblemished lamb on the altar to atone for your sins and for the sins of your family, and that's what you did. And John the Baptist is saying, look, it's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I, I want you to understand, like even the disciples had a hard time connecting these two things, like I don't get it, is he a lion or is he a lamb? Which one? And the answer is yes. He's the lion and he's the lamb. He's both. And if you don't understand that, then you can't understand world history. And you can't understand why Jesus was worthy to open the scroll. We're almost out of time, so let's finish with this. By his death, 
Jesus has created a global people for God. It wasn't, he wasn't just about creating Israel. He wasn't just about restoring the nation of Israel to this place of prominence. He, it turns out, and we're going to see this in the scroll, it turns out he's interested in restoring a people of God, a broader Israel, which includes those of us who aren't Jewish. Can I get an amen? Because I'm Irish. Because otherwise we wouldn't be here. If we couldn't be included, if, if, if we weren't a part of the scroll, if the scroll wasn't partly about the Gentile people being invited into the people of God, then this, would still, this whole movement would still be just a Jewish thing. But it's not. It's a worldwide thing. And we're going to see that in this last, these last two songs. And the truth is, the name of Jesus, is, it's already above every other name. But the day is coming when everyone will acknowledge it. It's already above every other name. I don't know what name is the coolest name to you. Young people, I don't know who you worship these days, some sports figure or some influencer or some musician or whatever, I don't know. Older people, I don't know which politician you elevate, whoever's name you elevate. I want you to know Jesus' name is above every other name, and that's a reality in heaven. If you can get a glimpse into heaven, you'd see that that's already true in heaven. It's just not yet true for everyone on earth, but someday it will be. Someday, everyone is going to recognize, oh, Jesus is the key. Jesus is the lion and the lamb. Jesus is the central figure in all of history. Someday, that'll be true. It's just not yet reality on this earth. Let's see the scripture that proves that out. Revelation 5.9, they sang a new song with these words. Here's song number three. You are worthy to take the scroll. So see, now they're singing about Jesus. The first two songs are about God the Father on the throne. Now they're singing worship to Jesus, which means Jesus is worthy of worship, which means Jesus is God. Otherwise, people wouldn't be worshiping him. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. Oh, I can't wait for next week. You're going to learn about those seals. We're going to talk about the four horsemen and the seals. It's going to be awesome, bloody and awesome. For you were slaughtered. Here's the song, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. See, they're realizing now that the blood of the Lamb has created this global people of God, not just this little sort of Abrahamic people of God, not just this little Jewish people of God. God, it turns out that everyone matters to God, not just one race. Is that relevant? That's still relevant today. I want you to know that. God has never been about racism, ever. All people matter to God, and there's going to come a day when, when God's people are going to be worshiping, and everyone who's taken the name of Jesus, everyone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to be a part of that throng where they're, where they're worshiping God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That is so significant, that line right there. Is so, and it was, just like, it was eye-opening to the Jewish people because they thought Jesus, they, they thought God played favorites and they thought he was just about the Jewish people. And no, he's about everyone who would take his name. And then we see this final song in verse 13. And then I heard, I want you to pay attention to this, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in the sea. Do you know who that covers? Everyone. You see how this throng has grown? So we started with just some weird living creatures singing, and then a few more people, the elders join in, and a few more people are singing. And then in the, in the, the third song, which we just looked at in verse 9, we see all the believers are singing. And now look, verse 13, everyone, even if they're not a believer. 
even if they didn't put their faith in Jesus, everyone now in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and in the sea, they all sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne, that's God the Father, and to the Lamb, that's God the Son, forever and ever. And this is the song that everyone will sing. So think about the most atheistic person you know. They're gonna be, someday they're gonna be bowing to this God. Whatever they say right now, God will deal with them. Whatever, whatever, whatever the Antichrist is saying right now, God will deal with him. Someday everyone's gonna sing this song. This is the picture. And Paul talked about this in Philippians 2. God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and he gave Jesus the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. You see this? This is what we're seeing in Revelation. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and in Revelation it says and in the sea. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the connection from Philippians 2 and Revelation? Do you see how we're seeing all of this start, starting to come together? Because it never got away from God. The plot line never got away from God. It, no matter what you see in your world right now, where you're like, what is going on? What is going on in the world? Does God even care? Is God even still in control? Is God still even in charge? Yes, yes, he is. I promise you he is. He always has been. And he always will be. And someday the whole world will acknowledge it. Someday the whole world will bow to the lion and the lamb. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, not just our ears, not just our minds, but at a heart level, I pray that you would open up our understanding to these words. It's actually really simple. To you, it's super simple because it was your plan all along. But for some of us, we're still sort of catching up. Lord, I pray for the person who's here that needs to put their faith in you if they've never done it before. I pray that, they, that today would be the day where they trust you for salvation. Because someday they're, they're, going to, they're going to be a part of this crowd worshiping you, whether they want to or not. But oh, it's so much better for us if we'd worship you now. It's so much better for us if we would take your name now. If we would acknowledge you as Lord and Savior now. And so God, if there's anyone in this room that's, that has failed to do that, I pray that today they would do that. Thank you that you're such a gracious and merciful and kind and forgiving God that you give us time after time, chance after chance to put our faith in you. And thank you, Lord God, that you hold all of history in your hand. God, that it did not get away from you. You know the beginning from the end. You know how it's all gonna finish. It's all in your scroll. And I praise you that you are such a trustworthy and stable God And we worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen.